Hello and welcome to European UFOs. If you liked this episode, then please make sure to like and leave a review. It really helps. I'm also on a mission to keep this podcast ad-free for all listeners. For that, however, I really need your help. There's a link in the description of this episode to buymeacoffee.com, where actually, for less than the price of a coffee, you can help me keep this podcast ad-free. Your help would be so much appreciated. In this episode, we will focus on UFO crash retrievals, which in a sense are the bread and butter of ufology. This has become all the more apparent since the dramatic developments of 2023 when terms like reverse engineering, exploitation programs, and non-human technology entered the public domain. However, much of the discussion surrounding UFO crashes is based on evidence from the US, notably Roswell, Kecksburg, Aurora, to name but a few. Today, we will shed some light on what's happening in Europe. The recently launched European Crash Retrieval Initiative, ECRI, has the ambition of mapping and analyzing alleged UFO crash sites in Europe, both contemporary and historical. Here with me to discuss this initiative, its background, setup, and objectives, is E.T. Person, Senior Advisor to ECRI. I hope you find this episode interesting, and if you do have information pertaining to UFO crashes in your country, then please do get in touch with ECRI. You can find the contact details in the description of this episode. Hi, Thomas. How are you doing today? Hello, Sebastian. I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. I'm actually just recovering from a rather bad uh, stomach uh, flu issue so it wasn't too nice this weekend but always up for talking about uh, ufos and especially such an interesting project like yours yes so um what got you into ufology and what's your background this is one of the typical questions i was asked by guests mm-hmm yeah, for me, it's pretty clear cut. I didn't uh, take UFO seriously until uh, 2019 when I was on uh, sick leave from the police department in Stockholm. And uh, I was working a serious crime unit. And uh, I got uh, sudden, all of a sudden, I um, realized that I had cancer, a tumor that I needed to operate. So I was on sick leave for a couple of years and um, discovered um, ufology by uh, listening to... I had heard something about UFOs being real, but, you know, it's cognitive dissonance. It's hard to take in. So I had just uh, in one ear and out the other. Um, but then uh, there was a... Uh, David Fravor was at Joe Rogan, so I finally said to myself, okay, let's sit down and take UFOs seriously. Is there anything to this? Let's see if there's anything to this talk about UFOs. And uh, that changed everything for me because the evidence is so overwhelming. And do you feel your background as a professional criminal investigator contributed something to your appreciation of the subject? Definitely. There's a lot of parallels um, between a typical UFO case and a typical... I, w- I used to work uh, murders. Uh, I was a homicide detective when I got sick. Um, and um, yeah, there's a lot of parallels. Um, and uh, the scientific method is the most precise, right? Uh, but 
uh, evidence can be we have two we have a we have a uh, another um, acknowledged way of proving things in our society, and that's the criminal case, uh, criminal law. And in a court, everything can be used as evidence. There's no rules that something can't be evidence as long as it's relevant and uh, credible. It is re- it, it is uh, evidence. So in ufology, there's not a lot of scientific scientific evidence to go by and there's almost nothing published i mean peer-reviewed and published evidence for ufos there's almost nothing but uh, the only real published um scientist with evidence is beatrice actually and she would agree that her paper as brilliant as it is it's not a lot of evidence uh, um, public a published peer-reviewed evidence for UFOs. So we need another method to, because we all agree that UFOs are real and they're proven enough. They're, we have enough proof to say they're real, but looking scientifically, there's almost nothing strict scientifically. And Beatrice is one of your uh, collaborators in ECRI, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, right? Yes, she uh, came up with the idea. So it's her baby, and she can, she has other stuff to do, but she came up with the idea, which is brilliant in many ways. And uh, so, yeah, it's her brainchild. Yeah, the last episode I did on this podcast actually dealt quite heavily with the issue of what different categories there of data there are in ufology. And um, it really mirrors what you just said that um, a lot of the data we have in um, in ufology is quite overwhelmingly pointing to the fact that there is something but the data as such is highly amorphous really difficult to make sense of but nevertheless if you apply rigid methods to it i think something can be gleaned from it so i think it's um it's definitely a point we can all agree on um, what we're here today to discuss, and I think this brings us um, very well back to the idea of evidence in ufology, is ECRI, the ECRI initiative or project. What does ECRI stand for, Thomas? European Crash Retrieval Initiative. And uh, we have a, a webpage that people can uh, look into, and it's ECR dash initiative.org um, we haven't written that much on the website yet but it kind of presents us and tells uh, um, the audience who we are everyone should take a look at it and uh, yeah the basic idea is to get our hands on physical evidence which we can publish via Beatrice and um, other Swedish scientists because it is a problem in ufology and the national national security states they have they look at this as a security issue and um they can't seem to look at it any other way they're kind of stuck in their realm in their uh way of looking at this so the free part of society like uh, science and scientific studies of uh, ufology uh, should try to get hands on the uh, physical evidence and uh, publish scientific papers on it. That's the goal. And 
obtaining the physical evidence would revolve mainly around crashes as implied by the name or are there also other lines of evidence you're pursuing here? Um, there is, of course, other ways to get physical evidence for UFOs and um, non-human intelligence and uh, extraterrestrials. Uh, there's physical proof to be found. We could find it in other ways, but we're mainly focused at crash retrievals. That's our um, focus, uh, UFO crashes, to get materials from those. But um, if there's uh, a piece of evidence, physical evidence, that you can discern where they come from and uh, kind of have a, a solid background of it, it's, of course, interesting too. Yeah, so I was just asking because I remember a while back reading about a case, I think it was in Finland or somewhere, somewhere in Scandinavia, about um, a UFO and this isn't a singular case kind of emitting some sort of slag or debris, which is a really weird thing. Why would a really technologically advanced craft just squirt out slag? But apparently it did happen according to eyewitnesses and these sorts of, I think, Metamaterials, as Jacques Vallée likes to call them, are, um, I think, also quite interesting to to analyze. So, this is, yes, um, there's uh, there's actually quite a lot of cases like that where UFOs um, leave some kind of uh, physical material, and there's doesn't seem to be any logic to it. Really, we have a case in Sweden from 1957 where a, a UFO landing, a saucer lands in on a island north of Stockholm, and um, two gentlemen in their brand-new car comes along, and their radio stops, and their engine stops, and um, there they are. It's a landed saucer right in front of them on the road, and then it takes off and leaves, and on the ground where the uh, saucer landed, there's a piece of some strange material. It's a kind of wolfram um alloy or something and yeah quite hard to tell if because if you don't see any logic uh, of from the materials coming from the ufo it's hard to us to to say that uh, it came from the actual ufo there wasn't like a piece on the ground and stuff because it doesn't add up to us sometimes right exactly and i think also one of one of the issues though it hasn't really been published yet with these metamaterials is that they do consist of elements that you would expect to occur on earth but probably the isotopic ratio is a bit different as to what you would normally find or expect so um but yeah i think i think it's also another line of really valid inquiry to look into um you know traces that have been left by these uh, uh anomalous craft um, but coming back to um, crash sites, um, how was this idea? Because I I, um, I know that you guys only started doing this quite recently. When was it? I think January yeah. 2000. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it, it's um, just like a month or or like that old. So um, we're um, taking a step by step. We haven't gotten any results yet. Uh, of course, we would publish that as soon as we have it. But so. Everything is not set in stone, uh, so to speak. Yeah. 
And um, so with, with crash retrievals, your overall mission statement is what exactly? I think you already alluded to it a bit in terms of the transparency that it's normally shielded off by national security. Um, what else is there? Well, the basic principle is to get the information out that there is a website and a um, organization that wants your information about uh, crash retrievals or UFO crashes. Uh, so there's a form for people to fill out, and um, there's uh, other ways of contacting us, of course. So if you fill in this form, we, that's our basic that's our start, right? We we uh, hope that people will will fill in this form, and then we take a look at it, and then we prioritize what cases to look into first. And um, yeah, so there's many ways to getting to the physical evidence, and uh, here are a couple of new ones. Uh, who knows where it may lead? Uh, it might also. Uh, one brilliant part of this is the attention it might get because if we are uh, recognizing scientists, uh, Swedish and European scientists, um, making this kinds of efforts, serious efforts in getting um, scientific evidence to be published, uh, it should raise the question. And we hope that the mainstream media would uh, pick it up so far and uh, they haven't but um we'll just have to keep trying so would it be fair to summarize that the kind of overall mission statement is on the one hand to ensure transparency that this issue is leaves kind of the realm of the shadowy national security state and the second one would be the scientific inquiry which these two go hand in hand mm-hmm. Exactly. Excellent. Yes. Cool. And publish fair, fair. and publish the results. That's the um, main point, right? Publishing scientific papers on UFO material. That's the holy grail. Perfect. Um, I've worked in academia and science for quite a long time, and one thing I do remember quite well is the um, continuous struggle to get funding and the uh, required resources to do research. So how did you guys go about um, ensuring that there, that there are resources and that there is enough funding to embark on what is probably quite an expensive endeavor to you know go out to crash sites investigate them investigate huge amorphous data sets and so on yes that's a um, good question because um the first part we do pro bono we will work for free as uh, starting uh, equi and uh, but as you say as soon as we need to go somewhere and um, professionally investigate a crash site, that costs money. Uh, that can't be done uh, easily if you need scientific um, proper methods and uh, gear. It's going to take, and if you need to travel and so on, we need funding. And uh, I think we will solve that part um, by uh, private. Uh, donations or, or funding we will uh, if there's a crash site we need to go to we will solve it and uh, hopefully yeah, we'll solve the funding too 
Yeah. That's that's the spirit. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have, yeah. you have to have a good idea and a mission statement first, and then other things will fall into place. I totally, yes. totally with with you there. Um, so, have you received any feedback from other researchers in the ufological community yet? Um, are you collaborating on that level? Let's say with I don't know Jacques Ballet or some other uh, luminaries in that field. Uh, we are not um, collaborating with those, those kinds of names, but uh, we've gotten some support f- from big names in ufology, and uh, we are definitely in contact with uh, some more or less well-known names in ufology with uh, information and um, you know tips and stuff. So, yeah, that's going on definitely. I uh, hope we hope. Um, Especially European ufology will, as you do, where brilliant you with your podcast will recognize this to get the word out and to get a conversation going in Europe. Because, as you know, it's awfully quiet in Europe about you on the UFO topic, and um, that's the main goal also to get information out to the public and to the scientific community and academia and um, media and really media is the the gas pedal uh, i would say uh, if mainstream media in europe would recognize this serious efforts and serious topic i think the conversation would change in academia and, and in europe uh, would you agree yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I was actually really disappointed and um, quite shocked when Grush revealed what he had to tell the general public. And um, all the legacy media, particularly in the US, but also in Europe, actually ignored this, uh, what could really be a groundbreaking story and what was a groundbreaking story on its own behalf. And I think the only um news outlet of the big legacy media that really picked it up was the guardian in the uk and um all german big publishing houses um so in germany where i'm based completely ignored it i mean it's uh it's so ridiculous if you think about it and it just makes you wonder what else do you need to uh, basically run a story? So, mm-hmm. um, and, and perhaps, and this is where it goes back to what you guys are doing, perhaps it really is some, you know, seeing is believing, some really um, nuts and bolts evidence. Look, this is metamaterial we, we recovered. It's been scientifically published and analyzed. It's anomalous. Perhaps it's something like that. And um, normally my experience with journalists is they're not very good at kind of interpreting scientific papers, but I think if they're guided with it, they can probably run a good story. Yeah. So, so, so uh, yeah. So, so you, uh, I guess you have, um, quite a good grip on what's going on in on the ufo topic in germany and the uk i guess so there was were, were there any newscast in in uh, german or in english in the uk about uh, the grush testimony on on uh, national tv on big news was there anything 
Um, not as far as I recall. I think in the UK mm-hmm. there are a few, um, as I said, so in the Guardian and in, in, in that newspaper, and also I think the uh, Daily Mail and so on. But um, so the UK, because of its affinity to the US, did you know lay its fingers on that um, that mm-hmm. story a bit, a bit at least. However, in continental Europe, um, including Germany, France, um, and Eastern Europe. It was a non-story. I mean, it's it's yeah. appalling. How can you? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 especially appalling because all other um, marginal topics from the US are happily covered by mm. German news outlets, and then this big one where Congress was involved um, is completely ignored. So, so yeah. So yeah. I think new in, in new initiatives like yours, especially in Europe, are really really welcome. Yeah, uh, we'll see when they uh, interview us about it in uh, mainstream media. I'm not uh, losing sleep over it because if they're not going to do news uh, um, segments on uh, national TV about David Grush testifying under oath about crash retrievals, then uh, I guess they won't give ECRI a call either. But Times will change. Eventually, we will have this conversation in mainstream media. So we just need to get uh, keep going, and eventually the public interest is going to change. I think it's going to change th- this year in Sweden, and uh, it's inevitable that it's going to change in Europe too. But when is always the question, right? When are things going to change in ufology? Seems there's always been this case, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think we've come a very long way since 2017, since Leslie Keynes and Ralph Blumenthal's article in in the Times. Um, but yeah, but um, there's also obviously a lot of backlash in in the US from gatekeepers. So, but what can you do? Mm. Um, com- coming back to the topic of European crash retrievals. Um, so, what what else prompted this? Um, this focus on Europe. I mean, for for me, for my podcast, it was really um, this this issue that European um, that UFO is obviously a global phenomenon, but they haven't been covered in Europe um, for whatever reason to the same extent that they have been covered in the US. Um, with ECRI, is it also because it's is it kind of by your research design? Is it because it's easier for you guys to get to? European crash sites um, because you want to start in a kind of small area of investigation? Yeah, I mean, um, there's a, about crash retrievals. The, all the conversation almost is about uh, American cases, and uh, there's a lot of focus about crash retrieval and almost entirely about the US. So, and we're Europeans, we're, we're Swedish, so let's. Uh, set the spotlight on European crash retrievals. And Sweden is, I mean, it's a big country, but um, we need a bigger market than just Sweden. So uh, Europe, uh, in Europe, there's a lot of uh, alleged um, UFO crashes. I mean, maybe not as as uh, often as they crash in the US, you might think, but uh, there's crashes here too. So uh, I guess we will have to go out and investigate European crash retrievals because no one else is doing it, basically. 
Except the well, national security states, of course. But uh, I mean, on on uh, private investigations and stuff, there's need to be there need to be an engine in Europe about crash retrievals over here, so we can get the conversation starting and not only focus on the US. Exactly, and I think um, you know you just alluded to it. Who else is doing it? I think your main competitor, if that's even the right word, in all of this, is the national security state, and to name it, it's. Um, the U.S. military, you know, it's um, so because yes. what, what, I, what I'm getting at is, um, and I've read a lot of crash cases, but it typically comes in, <laughs> the drama unfolds in three acts. The first is mm-hmm. eyewitness of sea, that something fell from the sky. The second is the U.S. military swoops in. And the third mm-hmm. is there's some sort of cleanup operation. Mm-hmm. And literally, this is the case regardless of where this happened in the world, this is always the case. And um, so um, given that there's this pattern, it suggests that there's quite a comprehensive um, security apparatus at play here. So how would you respond to that? Is there any way to kind of beat this powerful adversary in rushing Mm -hmm. to crash sites? Um. We'll see, but there's lots of ways, as I said, to get our hands on physical evidence. It could pop up in other ways that could be could be controlled uh, enough to put something uh, to to make science of it. But uh, yeah, about beating the national security states that that's a hard thing uh, to look. If you look at it one way, they have all the the satellites and the radar systems and stuff, and they're going to know when, when things crash way before we do. And if uh, if there's a crash out in the uh, in where nobody lives, the, probably the national security states are the ones that are going to know about it, and nobody else are going to know about it. But uh, if there's uh, some kind of uh, urban environment and witnesses, and uh, then there's a chance, right? And uh, historically. It could be um, that uh, physical evidence could pop up that the national security states haven't laid their hands on yet, and so so there's there's a lot of possibilities to get. Uh, I don't think they. I mean, if we would find, you know, like an extraterrestrial being, a a a, a, a uh, actual ET, that would be serious uh, that would change the conversation and i don't think uh, w- w- when that day comes we'll see how we'll, we'll deal with it but i don't think it's something that happens every day so we i don't think um we should uh, calculate too much what to do with an extraterrestrial being but materials on the other hand there's probably a lot of uh small pieces fragments of materials that hadn't haven't been picked up over europe i would say the only problem is finding them of course because they're probably really really small but if we get our hands on a really really small piece of metal material let's say um magnesium zinc and bismuth let's say i don't think in this where we are at this point in 2024 we might get um, the green light, so to speak, from the national security states and uh, the, the Americans to publish it because it won't change much. I mean, there probably won't be any 100% uh, 
proof that it is from a UFO. It probably won't be any 100% proof uh, that it's uh, non-human, but it might be good evidence. Uh, and I don't think that's going to change the conversation. I don't, I don't think the world will panic if we publish a scientific paper with metamaterials. People are not going to go crazy. The stock markets are not going to crash. I don't think, um, hopefully, it gets noticed at, at most, maybe. Yes, I, I think the issue here really is um, who gets to the stuff first. And I think it's a really valid point that you just brought up is focusing on, you know, perhaps the scraps that have been left behind by because i think we can you know if, if something big crashed i mean I, I to my mind there's no doubt who's going to be there first <laughs> simply because yeah. it's a multi-billion uh competitor you have to yeah. face there get, getting to crash sites first but focusing on the scraps is definitely a really valid point that's left behind yeah. yes i don't know as i said i don't think uh, uh, and 2024 and that the national security states are going to uh, see it as any big problem really for a small piece of ufo material being uh, scientifically studied it's not going to change much and uh, and well we're, we're all sitting in the same boat right we don't want to cause any large-scale panic but i don't think the national security states um, if they do their analysis correctly, they should realize that publishing a paper on a small piece of material that's pretty unclear that it's from extraterrestrials or non-human, it's just going to be good evidence, but it's not going to change the conversation really because the fact that there are materials from Ubatuba and Roswell, we all know that, that we don't need any more evidence to say that's far beyond reasonable doubt there are materials and people know this uh, tens of thousands of people know that there's uh, materials i mean millions maybe now after grush testifying there are crash retrieval programs because ufo crashes they leave physical traces and uh, the national security states are in they have it and there's also uh, nolan and uh, valet they have the material so and that hasn't caused any any panic right not even close so i don't think it's a problem no definitely not a problem and, I, and on the contrary i think it's going to make a really valuable contribution to you know pushing the agenda that the um discussion one one step further because this is a long game i don't think they're gonna you know it's not gonna change overnight but it's really important that um there's a you know concentrated effort to move the discussion forward and um focusing on that is a good way yeah um, probably there's a well there's a big plan to how to do this disclosure with a big d uh, and we're um, we're a couple of years into it now and it's not going to be able they can't stop it now i think but what could happen is of course if some other countries with uh, materials and physical proof if they kind of terminate the old deal about the u.s being the disclosure country i mean that could happen uh, as it looks now uh, there are rumblings about other countries foreign adversaries making uh, disclosure 
So that could actually happen, but uh, let's hope it doesn't actually. I know you're still really in the uh, early phases of, of ECRI, but um, could you perhaps give us a really short overview of how you would go about acquiring data on crash sites? You already mentioned the online form where potential eyewitnesses can um, give you information about a potential crash, uh, but how would you go about investigating a case after that? Yeah, so of course, there's an analysis about the information, and um, then you need to prioritize the best evidence for where to go um, and what can be effectively won by going somewhere. You have to calculate is it worth the time and effort? That's my game, like prioritizing after how much evidence, collaborating evidence, right? Corroborating evidence. And see, so if we have a crash site, let's say in Poland, let's say, and uh, there's one witness or there's two witnesses, or maybe it was a big thing uh, back in the day. So there's a lot of info uh, to get the precise location. That's the first problem um, to get exact uh, location. Date, of course, is important, but the exact location is, of course, the, the, the absolute most important thing. And then you need to get your eyes and ears um, on as soon as possible, actually, I would say, on, on site. And f if you have eyes and ears on site, then a lot of things are going to clear up. You're going to understand uh, what people could have witnessed anything and uh, local, local people would probably have... Uh, knowledge about what happened or maybe they know who lived there at the time it happened and so you can go from there and, and maybe get higher fidelity than you had from the start when you just had a uh, a form filled out from our webpage which is not going to say a lot so and then of course um, securing the place so to speak to see how the actual scientific serious effort when you have to dig through the ground in some way or, or penetrate it or do it by later, um, um, that's the next step, right? So I, I look at it as in two steps. First, the re recon uh, part, and then the actual big um, effort to go there and uh, scientifically dig out the place uh, in a correct way. And uh, that's not my expertise. Um, that's Other people have expertise on that part. Uh, so my main focus is the, the uh, um, judging the evidence, collaborating evidence, and then the actual digging in the ground. We will get that uh, expertise from others then, uh, not from me. Yeah. But I guess with your background, you would be um, very skilled at um, assessing the eyewitness testimonies, right? Provided these individuals are still living, right? Exactly, yeah. That's always the biggest yeah. part in ufology. Without human intel, without witnesses, we wouldn't have anything, right? Uh, we were, I mean, radar returns and stuff, that's really interesting to get speeds and accurate speeds and stuff about UFOs. But Without human intel, we have nothing, almost. I mean, UFOs, I, I think, actually, I lean more and more against this notion uh, that UFO sightings are not accidental. Uh, 
I would argue rather that it's more about the, the witness than about a a uh, extraterrestrial going from place A to to place B and uh, just happen to get observed by people on the ground. That doesn't that doesn't seem what UFO sightings are many times. It, it seems to be about the observer more. Uh, do you, do you understand what I'm getting at? Yeah, and there's also this kind of related bizarre phenomenon that you might have a group of people, but only of this group, only one or two individuals see a UFO. And even for these two individuals, it may look completely different. So you do have a lot of that going on, which kind of supports what you just said. Uh, it also neatly brings us to another topic that I would like to get your ideas on and that's i think one of the big issues in ufology was to start question well why do they actually crash <laughs> i mean mm -hmm. recently in the in in the wake of what david grush has been uh, revealing um uh, there, there was quite a bit of discussion about this about, about different theories but what is your take on this why do ufos crash yeah uh so they should be able, we should be able to divide it into two categories i think um they're accidental or they're not accidental uh, I, I can't see any other uh categories so if there are accidents then they're accidents uh and i think that's the case in many in many cases but i also i think roswell case for instance my guess would be that it's not accidental but I would say that's just probable cause, maybe, that it's uh, not accidental. Because, you know, in New Mexico at that time, there was uh, Goddard. Goddard. Um, he did all his experiments with uh, rockets and liquid fuels there. And it was also the place for the Trinity first atomic bomb test. And it was also the home of uh, the 509th um, bomb squadron, the first... Uh, squadron that um, bombed the first uh, used the nuclear bombs to, on uh, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So that seems to be a lot of interest in in rockets and in uh, nuclear weapons because those two things combined are significant as the UFO interest uh, kind of reveals. It the UFO interest in nukes is quite clear and so uh, there's a home in new mexico at that time for both rockets and uh, atomic weapons so i don't maybe that wasn't an accident actually and uh, so why they crash and that's virginia is one of the is maybe, that's the best ufo case there is in my opinion uh, considering all criteria about what makes a good ufo case uh, the virginia 1996 case in brazil is the best one and perhaps you could suspect that it was shot down in that case because they they knew it was going to, the Americans knew, they told the Brazilians that it was going to crash before they crashed, seems like. But we don't know. Uh, I have only guesses about why they crash. It could be more or less informed guesses, just so. Um, does it matter? Well... Our goal in ECRA is to get our hands on the physical material. The question about if it was an accident or if it was shut down or if it was a gifting field kind of scenario, that's uh, 
for academic interest. Uh, that's a later question, right? So it's hard to answer. No, it's a really hard que no. question. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. You know, I just wanted to pick your brains on that because it's, yeah. um, it's something we're all struggling with this idea. Well, why would something that is so advanced, um, repeatedly crash on this planet? Um, on the face of it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But then um, well, this phenomenon uh, is so complex that have we thought about if, um, there are so many UFOs on planet earth uh that we only see a fraction of it if our ufo sightings are only a fraction of uh the activity that's going on on this planet then maybe that could explain uh that many crashes that uh, it's actually much more uh, prevalent uh, than we suspect uh so there's there might be a, just a small small tiny fraction that crashes by accident and that's what we see. We only see that part. We don't see the actual presence. The, the presence could be much bigger um, than we than we understand. Yeah, I agree. And also, um, I think only about four or a little bit more than four percent of the European landmass is actually covered by human-built surfaces. So, you know, that leaves ninety-six uh, percent that are actually, you know, not with any urban in any urban context so there's a lot of potential for stuff just falling from the sky as small as it might be and remaining undetected again i do think that if something big crashes um probably the u.s military apparatus will have its eyes on that but um there's probably a lot of potential for smaller things to be discovered and to be analyzed appropriately um great what let's say so you've taken us through the methodology you get eyewitness accounts you then analyze them systematically you go to crash sites get your potentially your hands on materials then analyze them scientifically what happens once you've published them and um, what happens to the materials and this goes a bit back this is also an issue that has been raised recently in um, the context of Grush this idea on the Schumer amendment this idea of eminent dom domain so who owns the stuff is it the government should it be in private hands is it up for the research community however that is defined what's your take on that yeah, as far as I know, there are. It's not my expertise, but I, I, I know, of course, I'm I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm knowledgeable about the uh, criminal laws and uh, the laws that govern uh, government and policing quite good. But as far as I know, there's no regulation about non-human materials. If there is, I haven't seen or heard of it, um, and I'm talking in a Swedish perspective now. So um, if it's not illegal, it's legal. So if um, nobody owns it, then it's, uh, I think, it, in a jurisprudence, uh, in, in, in uh, looking at it from a strict law kind of way, it would depend on how long the material has been on the grounds i'd say um because if you find something that's only been there for a day or if you find something that's been a part of a, a, a piece of land for 
hundreds of years, then it would maybe be recognized as a part of the land. But uh, so that's a hard. I don't think I don't think anybody can answer that question. I don't know. Uh, but we're gonna look at it as a piece of material that uh, belongs to the human race and this planet and us as uh, uh, the scientist is going to take a look at it and investigate and uh, do experiments on it. We're going to look at it as ours and then publish it and uh, so it can be uh, viewed um, scientifically and for the whole world to see, hopefully. And if anybody wants to claim that we don't have a right to do that, well, we'll we'll um, we'll see how we'll handle it then. I I, I can't really see a problem uh, in that regard. Um, the expropriation thing is um, concerning American uh, uh, private industry, the military industry, and uh, we're not a part of that, and we're not a part of their their laws in the US. So I would say that doesn't apply to us. And uh, if they, if anybody claims uh, that that's the case, then they have to show us a law that, uh, that governs it. I don't think there is for us. Yeah, I think in the US there was partly, so it wasn't really because it didn't get passed in the end eminent domain, but I think there was also the uh, issue of whether Nolan and Jacques Vallée, who are notably in possession of metamaterials, would then have to, um, you know, give them to to the U.S. government. So this this was also on, on the table, but then again, it's um, not really anymore. Um, yeah, so what is your feeling about um, once you've published this and it's in your possession of collaborating with... Uh, tech companies, tech investors, what do you think? And this kind of perhaps is not something that is part of your role in, in ECRI, but do you, on a, on a personal level, do you feel this is something that should be made available to private tech investors, um, this sort of technology, or is it something that above all should be studied scientifically? And after that, it's up for society to decide what happens with it. Yeah, I think um, for the benefit of mankind, right? That's uh, that's our uh, mentality towards this. It's uh, for the benefit of mankind, and a, a private industry has a role to play, right? Uh, it shouldn't be all government. That doesn't work. So, but um, then of course there's also when private industry comes in to do business of things, uh, it needs to be regulated, and it needs to be we don't really know how this is going to play out, right? Uh, in the American case with the private industry, that's, that's a whole can, can of worms. Uh, that's very problematic. So how this will play out, I can't really tell really, but um, we'll all do it for the benefits of mankind and, and scientific evidence and scientific inquiry into the subject and spread the word. And then the uh, private co uh, contractors, private industry are going to maybe come up with new ideas, inventions from it. And, uh, and that's the way the world turns, right? So I hope it will play out in a good way. I have no idea how it's going to end, but uh, 
Um, well, no, what do you think? What do you, that, how, that, what do that, you see? That that's fair. I mean, um, I think it's one of the things you can't really avoid to um, deal with um, tech investors and the filtering through into the tech industry. Nor do I think it should be avoided because if we follow the idea that it should be for the best of mankind, then I think uh, history shows that when something is left exclusively with the government, it might not be always the best choice. So I do think um, that um, tech companies do have a role to play here. However, it should be guided by ethical principles. This isn't unique to ufology, but, um, you know, also applies to other things like cancer research, et cetera, you know. So I think there it's then more, once we have reached that step, more uh, discussion we need to have on ethical and philosophical grounds than anything else um but i think it was already a bit hinted at in um in the context of the um rush revelations um who owns this material what is it for and i think we can all agree on that it um should be made transparent and openly available and not cloistered off by the um you know military industrial complex thing that, mm. that um, that's just actually a crime, especially as we have now discovered, or as you know, we've probably always known as that. You know, we've been blatantly lied to for more than seventy years, and you know, if what Grush says is, uh, you know, even moderately true. Um, people have been, um, you know, threatened with violence, intimidated, and so on, and that's obviously just, uh, you know, crime. There's no yeah. no other word for it. So. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It's a lot of foul play. And uh, some people ask, why don't they land on the White House lawn? Or why don't they make um, public contact? Well, we need to shape up. We need to do better. We need to... Uh, the, the the foul part of this ufology is, is, uh, kind of shows why we're not really uh, ready. And so ufology needs to change in some ways really because uh, we need to raise our voices and we need to unite and we, look, we need to go by evidence and um and our moral standards uh should be uh, we can't tolerate uh, that the national security states and mainly maybe the private military industrial complex I mean, Eisenhower told us this uh, sixty over sixty years ago. He warned us about this, and uh, it's not a. We need to go in a different direction with open scientific inquiry and uh, private industry that wants to um, make this make new technologies. And, is, and there's nothing wrong with making money, but uh, the way it's been done in the shadow shadows in the past, that's not uh, that's not healthy. Uh, it's a very unhealthy way to conduct this kind of uh, effort about crash retrievals and making uh, technology out of them. And we have the national security states for a reason. It's for our own safety. And uh, so their their job is to look at the the safety issues only and if they hire military contractors for making weapons out of them that's what they're going to do and if that happens for eight years in the shadows 
Uh, that's one route, right? But we need this other route with open and free society and uh, private industries, uh, free entrepreneurship and stuff, and see how that plays out. Uh, and let's not only make weapons of them. Maybe we can make other technologies that benefits mankind and not only are uh, done because uh, we want to kill each other because of uh, countries have borders and we have different cultures. And uh, so so it's uh, very unfortunate that it's become a weapon weaponized uh, issue. Exactly. But um, I think at least fortunately, probably they haven't really made any progress on that level either, because one of the, your, your main mission goals with um, ECRI is to, um, you know, create that scientific transparency. And, you know, what has happened so far is really the worst case, you know, it's being uh, shut off behind, you know, the military industrial complex, them doing their own research and no one really being able to figure it out. Because if you only have highly compartmentalized research projects working on minute details of you know, something very complex, no progress can really be made. I mean, it's not a big secret. And if we are to believe, um, you know, different whistleblowers, then this is exactly what happened. They have no idea what it is. They pull it out of the box every, you know, 10 years or so to see, well, you know, what new researchers have actually, uh, what new generation of researchers can make sense of it. But, uh, you know, for 70 years or so, no one has I believe that really a clue what we're dealing with. Perhaps some aspects, if you are willing to believe, uh, Philip J. Corso have been, you know, filtered down into private industry and so on. But I think the overall picture due to that compartmentalized system is still really missing. And that's, that's a genuine tragedy. Yes. So. Thanks a lot. thanks a lot, Eric. It's uh, been such a Thomas. such a pleasure talking to you. T- Thomas. Yeah, Thomas. Well, um, Et or Thomas. Yeah. Et mm-hmm. exactly. It's been um, really great talking to you today. Um, by way of wrapping this up, so we've already mentioned the website. I'm going to put it into the um, description of this episode, obviously. Um, and am I right that on the website there's also um, a possibility to uh, report um, crash sites? Yes, uh, exactly. There's a f- f- form to fill out if you have uh, any information about a crash site. Yeah, so uh, last thing, Beatrice is on a mission to get, she looks at this as her, She's a scientist, and she uh, sees it as her mission to get scientific evidence and to wake up the scientific community, academia, about there is actually scientific uh, inquiries and uh, discoveries and knowledge to be gained from ufology. And so that's and that's what ECRI kind of is. It's one of our offshoots uh, to for this goal of hers to uh, help wake up the scientific community and by then if we manage to do that then things might change in that way um what do you do you think that yep. that's possible you know yeah i i think so i mean if there is enough um you know nuts and bolty things coming out of your research something that you know even the most skeptical scientists can read in a 
you know, ideally peer-reviewed journal, I think then that's very beneficial to moving the debate forward. Um, so for the listeners who want to get involved, there is this means of reporting crash sites. So dear listeners, if you have witnessed something in Europe, then do please go onto the website, which you can find in the description and hand in your case there. And um, Thomas, is there also a way of um, contributing financially to ECRI for those who want to do so? Um, if there is some interest in uh, financing, uh, they should look at a website and contact us uh, via our webpage, ecr-initiative.org, and uh, we'll take it from there. So, um, yeah, that's what I can recommend. Sounds good. Thanks so much for being on today. And I think we've had a really interesting discussion about crash retrievals and what they also mean for society and for ufology. Thank you. Great. Fred, would love to have you. Bye-bye. Yeah, great to talk to you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.